it, it gets said a lot, I think, in businesses is, well, we can't do that because that just won't work here. And I always think, well, you know, it works for like literally every other business. Why wouldn't it work for us? How are we any different? You peel back some of the limiting beliefs and underneath those are principles that are the same everywhere. You're listening to Toolbox for the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to Toolbox for the Trades. Today, I'm talking about growing a residential division with Spencer Tippett, the Director of Business Development at Rainforest Plumbing and Air. Since joining the family business in 2019, Spencer has seen the company triple its revenue. He credits this growth to frequent rumbles, a nimble strategy, and making Rainforest a great place to work. Spencer Tippett, you are the Director of Business Development at Rainforest Plumbing and Air in Arizona. Today, we're going to talk about building a residential division with innovation and creativity. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks so much, Jackie. So we're going to kick this off with an icebreaker, which I've been introducing in the last couple of episodes. I would love to know if you were a superhero, what would you be your superpower and why? Yeah, that's a, it was a really good question. I polled my kids on that question and just to see what they would say. So my, my son said I should have super speed and my daughter said that I should be able to fly. And so I, I guess either of those two would probably do pretty well. I, I think I'd find a lot of utility in super speed and flying. So not only can you fly, but you can fly really fast. Yeah, definitely. I think at at my core, I always feel like I can never do anything fast enough. And so being able to travel faster or run faster, it would all, it would really benefit me. So you know what? I agree. I I think super flying speed. That's my superpower. Fantastic. I love that you consulted with uh, the most important people in your life on that question. How old are your kids? So my son is six and my daughter is four. Amazing. Well, I, they had a great answer. So please tell that to them, say that you guys gave me the perfect answer for the podcast. So thank you. I would love to also know, how did you get into the trades? Yeah. So I had a, an unconventional route. So my, my dad started Rainforest Plumbing and Air in 1999. So I was five turning six when, when he started. And so I grew up at rainforest uh, when i was a little kid i would i would refill the soda machine in in the warehouse and uh, you know as soon as i was old enough to to use a shovel i would be there digging holes and in a more of an apprenticeship role but i was always in the business and my dad encouraged me to go to college and so i i went and got a degree and when i got out of that i went into the corporate career and found out that I, I didn't really like that. It was not nearly as glamorous as what they try to sell you while, while you're in college. And so when, when my dad presented the, the idea of starting a residential service business inside of Rainforest, I was pretty intrigued. The idea to, to have kind of an entrepreneurial experience within our company, this company that I you know, grew up with, and also to just learn at the feet of a master 
you know, my, my dad is a world-class entrepreneur. And so it, it's, it's really one of the greatest privileges of my whole life to be able to, to come back into this business and work with the people I do and, and do what I've done. That's incredible. I, the way you, I forgot exactly how you just said it because my mind's a goldfish these days, but the world's greatest privilege. What a way to think about the career that you have and the impact you're making right now. That just really struck me. I wanted to, I wanted to say that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I really, I, maybe it sounds cliche. I don't know if it's cliche or just hokey, but we, we hired somebody to grade, to level the yard at my grandparents' house. And a comment was made that by someone who was, who was there that said, man, can you, can you believe that career? Like he's out there in the heat and he's having to work hard. And I, I was like, I, I think he's got probably the coolest job in the whole world. All he does is just, mm. he just operates heavy machinery and nobody tells him what, how to do it. You know, like I just have a ton of respect for the trades and, and the men and women who do it. It's just, I can't think of anything more rewarding than than solving the most inconvenient problems people have, like plumbing and air conditioning. So, so yeah, I, yeah, I really do mean that. I I love what we do and and just respect these people a ton. That's incredible. I'm glad that we we went on that little tangent there because I think I actually agree with you too. I think there's something to be said. I've my entire career, I've done a lot of things, but more or less, it's been in front of a computer. And while I love what I do, there is something to be said about being able to see your work actually being done, being able to move physical matter, like in the case of the gentleman who was uh, leveling your grandmother's lawn. And I think there's, yeah, there's something to be said about that, about actually like using your body physically. Obviously there's the cons to that too. I'm hearing my own dad saying something about his knees because my dad was in the trades as well. So there's obviously like pros and cons to that as well, but it really speaks to the mindset and having the mindset about what kind of work the men and women of the trades are doing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, there's, you're sacrificing, I think some of your, your physical you know, you sacrifice some of your body, but I've also thought of it like this, that when you, when I got a, a dog, uh, dogs have to go on walks and it's not necessarily because of the exercise it's because of the, it's they're sniffing things and their brain is just is activated. And I, I feel like when I'm, you know, in a trench or up in an attic, I feel like my brain is just, it's activated. And that, so that in a way is what's going to keep me young. And, you know, I, I think I'll live a long time because, you know, what I do is challenging and interesting. Yeah. I've heard that before too. I do not have a dog yet, but I have been dog sitter to several pups uh, in the last few months. Some of them have actually made guest appearances on the podcast. And my favorite thing is to just take them on walks and just let them sniff. It's like, this is their walk, not mine. So, you know, go nuts, guys. And the more they sniff, the more tired they are. So tell me a bit about... You came in, and oh, also I wanted to mention this. Your brother had worked at Rainforest before you joined. So what influence did your brother's experience at Rainforest have on your decision to join? Hmm, that is a good question. Well, yeah, my, my older brother was, he was obviously my first best friend, you know? So I've always looked up to him and seeing what he had done at Rainforest was, it was certainly inspiring. I was just thinking about it last night that, you know, we, 
my dad, brother, and I, we have so much in common from just family memories and experiences that if we ever have a disagreement or things are getting heated some in some kind of discussion, we always have the fallback of all the things that we have in common. And so it, it allows us to jump. We call it rumbling when we kind of have a disagreement or something. And so we'll actually ask for permission from each other to, hey, can I rumble with you on that for a little while? But we can rumble and our feelings won't get hurt. You know, we have the, the fallback of our, our past life experiences with each other. And then we can, you know, we can come back to the business side of it. I, I don't know if that works for every family business, but we do. Th- that's at least our outlook on it. And we're, we're able to work pretty effectively together. That's really cool. I like the perspective of we can fall back on the things that we all have in common. So the thing, so part of our history that we all share and that we all know we're coming from the same place. When you say rumbling, is it mainly just let's, I know you have a different point of view as to how we should approach this. I have a different point of view. Let's get in a room and just talk it out for a couple minutes. And like, how does the, how does the rumble end typically? First, I should say the rumbling thing comes from uh, Brene Brown, an author. And so I can't take credit for the concept. But what I can say is that it does work is, is, to, just, is, is to just ask the question, is it okay if I, if I potentially offend you now? <laughs> I don't mean to, but I just want to present this you know, alternate idea. And so another thing that I've, uh, another saying that I kind of have is if, if two people in the room have the same opinion, then one of them is useless. And so we actually, we encourage people to disagree with each other because ultimately we'll make a better, you know, more thoughtful decision if those opinions were heard. Yeah, that's a really great way to look at things because in some ways too, that's also ensuring you're not surrounded by yes people, people who are just going to yes you, right? Encouraging different schools of thought. And by the way, I think this is a toolbox for the trades first. I have mentioned Brene Brown so many times on this show. You were the first guest, I think, that has mentioned her to me before I got to mention her to you. So yay, that makes me so happy. I love that. So how did, and I, what I also love about the idea of asking someone if they're ready to rumble is you're asking them, hey, are you in the headspace to go with me on this? Like, are you ready to kind of, to rumble, to spar about something? And are there times when you, your dad or your brother are like, oh my God, I can't do it right now. Can we revisit this tomorrow? Is that kind of how that normally goes? Yeah, there's certainly, in our, in our family, it seems like we, we try to brand everything we do. But my dad's famous method is, he, he calls it the back burner principle. And so that's his, that's his flag for when he, when, I don't want to, I don't want to rumble on this right now. Let's put it on the back burner. And, and actually in his desk drawer, he has a, he has a drawer that, you pull out and there's a label on it that says the back burner. And so if he's got a paper or something that he's thinking about, he'll literally put it in the back burner drawer and know that he's got to get back to it at some point. See, I love that concept, but you know what would happen for me? I know myself really well is I would have the back burner drawer and the back burner drawer would just never get opened. I would just keep on adding to it. And then it's like, oh yeah, I guess I should like look at all of that stuff. I'm very much someone who needs like immediacy in my decisions, which is something I'm working on. So I definitely give your dad credit for being able to kind of revisit that stuff when he's not ready at the moment. Yeah. See, I, I call it strategic procrastination is let's, you know, let's call a spade a spade. It, it is procrastination, but there's strategy to it. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh, got so many great just like insights on how you as a family work within the business in just these first 10 minutes. I love it. I know it's it's probably super weird, but we 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 do feel like when you name things, it gives it power. And so, you know, our our company name has has power and and we anyway, we have a lot of fun naming things. So yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So let's talk about naming things and making a decision to branch out. What inspired the team at Rainforest to create a residential division? You guys were commercial for the longest time. What prompted the the new branch? Yeah, in service t- service Titan language, it was business units, and it, which that that does come into play actually is our ability to kind of like keep the department separate within a single software platform that actually did make things make things possible. So. We, Rainforest started as a residential service business. And early on, my dad figured out that he could actually build a business in a, in a commercial space that, and we could compete on a level that, well, we could, we could have a business that others couldn't compete with. And so we, we really created the business around a commercial and, and kind of property management industry. But as the business went, uh, I think my dad realized that there was a there was kind of a cash flow advantage to having a residential service business. You take payment up front and then you pay for the equipment in 30 days. And so kind of the that's almost the exact opposite of how a commercial business runs. And so we thought that by yeah, but if we had that it could kind of diversify us and make us a little more recession proof. And so they had actually had a couple of, of managers in place to try to create the, the this residential business. And they just weren't working out. We kind of, we had a large radio budget that was not really drumming up business like we thought it would. And so that's when, that's when my dad presented the idea to me of coming back to the family business, which was something I previously didn't want to do. And so when he, when he kind of presented the idea that, that we could, you know, pull this off and it would be something valuable to the business. It really, it really intrigued me. And, and so, yeah, anyway, we came, I, I came back and we had just signed up with Service Titan and had a lot of capabilities that we had never had before, customer data that we could go back on. And uh, that, that's ultimately how we grew up our membership base. But yeah, so, you know, we, as a commercial service business, we had just signed up with a residential service platform. And so seeing those you know, that we had the tool just right, you know, we were already paying for the tool. It was seemed pretty logical just to, to leverage it and, and scale a residential service division. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know that when you first, when the team first decided to launch the residential division, before you came on, you mentioned you had this big radio budget. It was with Service Titan that you realized, oh, this radio strategy is not yielding us anything. It's really, we're just wasting money. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, excuse me. So yeah, service Titans allowed us uh, on many levels to, to just track if, if we were being effective. So I, I, my dad always tells us the story about in the early days, he would take an ad out in, it was this thing called the yellow pages. I I don't even know. (laughs) I don't even know if the pages were actually yellow, but anyway, he would spend all, I think they were, (laughs) I think so too. Rumor has it that they were yellow. I don't, it, it just baffles me that that's how you used to have to do it. So, so he would do those and then he did, he just couldn't tell if they were working. He would call from the house. He would call the office just to make sure the phone line hadn't been disconnected because it was so quiet. And so 
Yeah, right. So right when we we kind of really committed to the residential thing, we realized that, you know, through through ad campaign tracking, this radio thing wasn't really being effective. Nobody ever mentioned it as the reason. We were spending about as much money as we were making in residential service on advertising. So we scaled that down and took a, a digital approach, which in hindsight is like, and that's that seems kind of foundational. It was it took using the software made something that wasn't totally obvious, I guess. It just made it obvious to us. And so we we changed how we advertised a little bit. And then we actually hired specific technicians for that division that they couldn't cross over. We were spending as much money on the radio as we were as we were making in revenue. And so we knew that there had to be a change. So in in conjunction with that, we moved things to a digital, we took a more digital advertising approach. And what we had been doing previously was whenever residential calls came in, we just let a, one of the technicians handle it. And so mm. what we learned was if you're going to, you have to, you have to create the business around the customer that you're trying to serve. And so, you know, wearing shoe covers and, you know, giving all kinds of options for different ways that we can solve the problem. And I don't know, little things like that were just, they weren't obvious and they weren't ingrained in our culture. So we hired specific technicians for our residential service side, and we didn't allow any crossover. So initially, we had some concern about, is there going to be enough, you know, are there going to be enough calls for this residential team to handle? And ultimately, that took kind of a leap of faith, because at, at the beginning, there weren't any. But by, by burning our ships, the burn our ships of fear, we, yeah. we just committed to it. And yeah, and it seems to have worked out. Yeah, it seems to have. Like you said that you're pacing to hit 5 million at the end in just residential sales alone. So that does not include the commercial business by the end of this, this year. And you started when you came on was 2019. Is that correct? Yeah. And, you know, I have to say when you were describing discovering that radio wasn't working, learning about shoe covers and building the residential business around the customers you want to serve, you were saying stuff like, oh, well, we used to just have a commercial tech go out. I just want to say, I think it's so great that you're on this podcast right now and sharing things, mistakes that you made. I won't even say mistakes. I would say like the learnings that you made while you were trying to accomplish this task. You're like, I guess it seems, you know, it's kind of common sense now, but you didn't know it at the time. And for so many people listening right now, that's still not common sense. So I just want to like normalize that for you is that of course it's not, you had to take a leap of faith. So Correct some of that language in your head, Spencer. You're doing a fantastic job. <laughs> well, I joke that this is a, it's been a profitable experiment. And it, you know, yeah. And, and that's actually the beauty of small business where, you know, I used to work, uh, where I came from was the largest company in the world, Walmart, where you can't make a decision ever. It's just not possible. And so coming to a small business, it was like, you know, even at the top of this thing, we don't know exactly what we're doing. We're, you know, we get, we collect opinions and we make the decision that we think is best. But it, I really actually, I kind of like that. We're just always, you know, always trying new things. And, you know, it's been, it's been a profitable experiment. I think it's the best way to describe it. Yeah. And you need to have that entrepreneurial mindset of being able to quickly pivot, of being able to make decisions, because I know there were things that you, there were assumptions you made when 
first starting the residential business. I know another thing was too, Rainforest historically in the commercial side was more plumbing focused. And so when you open the residential division, your first thought was, of course, we'll make it more plumbing focused as well. But over time, it's now been more focused on heating and air. Can you expand a little bit more on that and what you learned through that journey? Yeah. So we certainly we owe everything to our commercial plumbing business. It was, you know, they've given that the kind of the winnings from our commercial plumbing business has allowed us to, it allowed us to create air condition, you know, to get an air conditioning license and add that to our business, you know, maybe eight or nine years into, into rainforest history. So certainly this rainforest had kind of evidence of it being a plumbing company first. And so uh, ways we compensated people and just processes internally were very focused towards plumbing. And so something that kind of being, being entrenched in what, what I was doing allowed me to just kind of see from a different perspective from the other side of that particular issue. So residential air conditioning, we saw some early opportunities, but things that were preventing us. So we, you know, when we first started it, we didn't have a way to compensate technicians for, for selling new units, which in a commercial setting is not necessarily the way that you are, are profitable. You want a kind of an even balance of the two. Or residential is it's kind of like the replacement is really, that's where all the profit is. And so we had to shift a little bit of, of those internal policies and that allowed us to continue scaling it. Now, it's something about something about Arizona, but at your house, if the air conditioner's out, it is, I mean, we're right behind emergency responders in, in terms of like importance. It is just people lose their minds if, if air conditioning goes down. And so in plumbing, there's a little bit more of like, well, I can take a couple of, you know, I can get a couple of bids or, you know, it's, I've got another toilet in the house we can use. But if the air conditioner goes down, it's just straight up, we can't live here. And so, so there's a, a little bit more of an urgency. And so it was, it's, it has appeared to be just a little lower hanging fruit. And so our residential air conditioning business is actually quite, quite a lot bigger than our residential plumbing business. We just found it maybe, maybe opposite of how, how a commercial business runs. We found that, that air conditioning can scale a little faster. And so, you know, we're, we're looking at a lot of our, our procedures and, you know, we think we've really got some things down that we can now just kind of turn, turn valves on and let this thing grow. And so I do look forward to spending some time into plumbing and seeing if I can kind of crack the code there and, and start scaling that side. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know. So little peek behind the curtain for our listeners. We record these episodes well in advance before they actually air. And right now we are in August. I saw a TikTok the other day that said that Arizona was in three, three number, was over 100 degrees for about 30 days in a row, something like that. So yeah, I can understand why if the air conditioning is not working, it's a yeah. big emergency. It, it was actually over 110 for 30 days. Holy cow. Yeah. Oh that, my goodness. It got up, to, it was 119 two weeks ago in, in July. And that was a, that was one of the craziest days we've had in a long time. So yeah. Ooh. Oh my goodness. Okay. So this is really interesting. So Rainforest, historically a commercial business. Your dad set out to make it a residential business when he started it in 99, but 
by the nature of the market at the time, a commercial business, plumbing business made, seemed more profitable. After coming on board with Service Titan, after just taking a look at opportunities, you guys determined that a residential division could really help with cash flow and make the company more profitable, more areas to grow. So you took what you learned from commercial, applied it to residential, and have essentially been tweaking it as you've learned, oh, no, actually, in this case, we need to do this for residential. Or, oh, actually, we need to focus on this type of service instead of that type of service. So it's really cool. It's like you have a bit of a map, but it's almost like the map is in a different language. And so you're kind of taking what bits and pieces you can from that original map and you're creating your own in the process. That's the story that I'm getting from you right now. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's pretty true. There's, there's, there's a lot of principles that are going to be true in every business. And so something that was, it, it gets said a lot, I think in businesses is, well, we can't do that because that just won't work here. And I always think, well, you know, it works for like literally every other business. Why wouldn't it work for us? How are we any different? You peel back some of the limiting beliefs and, you know, underneath those are principles that are the same everywhere. And so we do a lot of like Tony Robbins trainings and we actually, we have a Tony Robbins trainer come and, and train our management team here. And anyway, so now why do I bring that up is yeah, be, behind some of those things that um, those smoke screens or, or, you know, we call them limiting beliefs, you know, it is, is the way to do it. And, and it's just more of a, how can we make it work instead of how, why won't it work? It's just a, how, how can we do it? So. So interesting. Can I just say, whenever I do these interviews with folks like yourself in the trades, and I want to talk about like, how did you functionally make this happen uh, in the business? more or less, we get into a talk topic about psychology. You've mentioned Brene Brown, you've mentioned Tony Robbins, you've mentioned this a concept of rumbling, of limiting beliefs, of, oh goodness, what was the other one? Of two opinions, two similar opinions in the same room, that second opinion is useless if it's the same as mine. I mean, it really comes down to mindset and how you think about what you can and cannot achieve. And taking that back to your corporate experience, Walmart, just like if you're a cog in a wheel, it's so hard to kind of get that intellectual itch scratched, I think. And it sounds like here at Rainforest, you've really found the ability to do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and we might get into that later, but culture is certainly, it is, Tony Robbins has a saying that anybody can build a $10 million business, but if you want to build a $100 million business, you have to have a culture. And so that's been you know, we, we crossed as a business, we crossed that $10 million mark and it became apparent that we need more than just a couple problem solvers. We need this entire group to, to have a voice and, and share their perspective on any kind of problem, any given problem. And then, you know, we can, we can have a machine that is just solving its own problems. And we joked that my mom and dad went on a trip. And so my dad, like, you know, he thinks the place is just going to burst into flames when he leaves. But between Down and I, we, we've got it, you know, we got it pretty covered and we've got a great team. But when my dad came back, he noticed some new policies and procedures that we had implemented. And, and we joked that it's like a, it's like an AI. It's, you know, it's learning, it's becoming, you know, it's, yeah, it learns on its own. It's, it's incredible. And that seemed to be a key to, to be able to COVID presented. Well, for the first month of, of like the lockdown, we thought, you know, we were staring over a cliff. 
but it presented an opportunity where there was a lot of liquidity in the market and a lot of, there was just tons of extra money to be spent. And so we, we grew and actually from 2018, by the end of this year, we, we will have tripled in size. So in that five year span, we, we will have almost tripled. And so, so to scale that fast as a company was, I think, only possible if we focused on, on our culture. I just want to do a quick shout out. Your brother, Dalin, runs the commercial side of the business. So tripled the business from the end of 2018 to now. You are hitting to make about $5 million in residential this year. So that means that, that your commercial department still thrived during COVID, which I think is a really big testament to the way that you guys think about and do business. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, just because the residential thing was kind of my, it's kind of my baby. I was hoping that one day it could take a larger percentage of what Rainforest revenue is, but it actually hasn't changed because each of these business units has, is, is growing. And so we, I think we, yeah, we, we have some maturity as a business that we can now duplicate and, and scale. And so where I think a lot of businesses maybe get to a point where we are and they say, well, we need to open an office in a different city. We're actually able to, we've been proving to ourselves that we can start, we can go after an industrial customer. We can go after a property management customer and, and a residential. Even within residential, we look at them a little differently. We have high-end clients. We have manufactured homes and HOAs. So, so anyway, we can, with, here within just one city, with one one office and one, you know, one set of business licenses, we can actually create several businesses and grow profitability without having to leave. That's awesome. That's super cool. Let's get into culture. I didn't ask you any specific questions about it during our pre-interview, but I want to get into it, you know, because it sounds like it was such a critical part to your business's growth. So tell me about it. Tell me how it's shifted since you've joined and what's so important that your dad can leave for a couple of weeks and come back and there's all new policies and procedures. What's that like? Yeah. So I think in the early days of, of starting a business from scratch, I can only imagine how hard that is. Uh, I think, yeah, just a ton of respect for anybody who, who starts it from scratch. That is just, it's totally wild. So I think in those early days, it was all the pennies were, were tracked. It was just a, you know, because we might have need, we might need a few pennies here to make payroll or to whatever. And so I know in the early days for the first couple of years of this business, my dad would, he would, he had a drawer in his desk with his paychecks because he wouldn't cash them because he knew it wouldn't, it wouldn't go. And so us as little kids, you know, we had no idea that we were, you know, on the verge of bankruptcy for years, but he pulled it off and we kind of, we started getting to a point where the, the business was profitable and self-sustaining. That's what's so interesting about culture is you can, you can read a lot about it and, and you can watch YouTube videos and it's the culmination of like all of the shared experiences. And so I, I think if I want to make more than a single person's lifetime of money during my lifetime, I need to take some other people's lifetimes and just learn it and start executing it. So it takes a lot of those of just research and studying and being interested in that, I guess. And then, and then you just, and then maybe there's an aspect of just becoming, becoming that culture, but certainly a shift that happened was allowing people's voices to be heard. And so there were people in the business that 
that kind of made that difficult. And I know I struggled it, coming into it, just being, yeah, you know, just you're, we, we struggled with how you felt here at work. And so I think there was a switch that flipped that we said, all these people here are depending on this company to, for their livelihood. Uh, and they don't like being here. And so there was a shift where, you know, we celebrate birthdays. Every birthday at, this, at the company is celebrated and, and a, some kind of, you know, a cake or bagels or whatever is every birthday. We, we improved our benefits. So now we do 100% 401k matching. We do a cheaper health insurance plan. I would love to say that we just pay for all of it, but it's not, it's not quite possible yet. But, but we, you know, there's all these things that, that we now we do that says, hey, you know, you are valuable. And uh, in fact, here's another thing I just remembered. So I, hopefully you could chop this up into pieces that you need. But I remember I got my first paycheck. So when you get at Rainforest, your, your first paycheck was always paper. And then you could do the direct deposit. So I looked at my first paycheck. And on the top, it said employee number 2035 or something. And I was like, there's only like 50 people who work here. How have we had 2000 employees over the last 20, you know, 18, 19 years? Uh, that means we were replacing the company. We were replacing the company twice every year. That's what our churn was. And so I think that was a signal to me that something had to change and changing how we speak to each other and, and, you know, listen and work together. We celebrate together, whether it's a, a birthday or a baby announcement or a home purchase. We have a Slack channel just specifically for celebrations. So, you know, last year we had five babies born in the, in our, the rainforest family and just homes purchasing. All that is just like that. That's what makes this stuff just, it's amazing that rainforest can, can do that. Now we changed some of these things and now you know, our turnover rate with employees is dramatically less, which has a hard to quantify profitability impact. That's awesome. I had, I'm so happy that we got on this subject. I talk about culture, I think on virtually every episode here. I love this question that folks can maybe ask themselves who are listening. Is my company a good place to work? Is, do people come to work and they enjoy it? And let's, okay, let's be real. Not everyone wants to work, right? I wouldn't, you know, I'm sure there's things that you, hobbies that you have, you have a family, you want to spend time with them. I have hobbies I want to do that I would love to just be able to do nonstop. The reality of the situation is we all have to work, right? When my employees come to work, are they feeling empowered to get their job done? Are they enjoying the company of their colleagues? Are we working together, rumbling in an effective way, right? You talked about there being some managers in place who didn't really foster that growth. And I'm thinking about two things, like as it affects, as we talk about turnover, we have this one group of people who maybe are kind of set in their ways, who maybe are bringing growth down, but we keep them because they've been at the company for so long. So they historically know how to do it. Well, I'll, you know? I'll add a caveat that those people who I, you know, those people who, who've kind of made those people were the right people for the time. I think it would be impossible to start a small business without some form of micromanagement. It, it, like you, you got to know, in fact, in the early days, there was an embezzlement. And so we had a, a general manager steal 
couple hundred thousand dollars. And back in the early days, that could have tanked the whole thing. But somehow, you know, my dad figured it out. I, I remember I came home one day and there was a horse saddle in the garage. And I and we're not horse people, but he's I said, What's that? And he goes, I guess, I guess I have a horse. Anyway, little did I know that you know, we were using company this guy was using company money to buy his horses. But anyway, so these, you know, people came in after that and 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 managed the business in a way that it was profitable. Like they we owe everything to to those people in, in the early days. Now, I do think that COVID specifically was was probably one of the greater challenges that that a business could face. And so being able to quickly adapt to that, you know, things things needed to to change. And I think a lot of people from those early days that are actually still here, we do have a lot of 15 plus year employees at Rainforest. They changed as well. And I think they would they would also say that they they really enjoy being at work now compared to, you know, maybe a few years ago. But certainly happy people are more productive. There's just there's no doubt about that. Yeah. And you know, I'm thinking about employees in terms of longevity. I've been at Service Titan for actually six years. It was like yesterday was like my six year anniversary, which is by the way, the longest place I've ever worked. I'm employee number 287, and we are well into the 2000s now in terms of our employees. And I think about the company I joined and the company I work for now, and it's completely changed. And, you know, thinking about turnover, right? We want to keep people happy, but we want to make sure we're keeping the right people in the organization. And I think one of the things that's enabled me to flourish at Service Titan, a constantly growing company, is I'm always down to like pivot and change and adjust. And COVID was another big reckoning for my department specifically, where we kind of changed things about, we changed things on, we really knelt in on a content strategy. Sorry, we're getting a little B2B sassy here, but I'm just relating to Spencer's story. And you know, I think about how you could have longevity in employees. And sometimes that longevity could be to your detriment. Sometimes it can be to the positive. So I think my takeaway in our kind of like ethereal conversation here about turnover and about impact is you want to make sure that the people that are staying at your business are the ones that have the right attitude and can pivot and grow and change with you as the business pivots, grows and change. Do you, do you agree? Am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. I like I mentioned, there's principles that are true no matter what kind of business. So Service Titan's experience, in fact, a company like Service Titan with 2,000 employees, I, I think I, I have interest in that because one day I think we'll have 2,000 employees, you know, across divisions and, and states. So there's there's something to learn, but I think there's under underneath all of it is is the same principle. And so so yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Very interesting. This is the kind of conversation I never thought I would be having with people, but you know, my role at Service Titan has allowed me to, and I think it's really fascinating. So thank you for going on this like philosophical business journey with me. I so appreciate it. Spencer, you've been so generous with your time. I've really enjoyed everything I've learned from you today. Like just enjoyed it on an entertainment level. And also you've made me think a lot, which is one of my favorite things about doing this show. I would be remiss if I did not ask you because Rainforest is pretty unique. You were actually, if I recall, I think Rainforest is one of the first commercial businesses that we got on Service Titan. So just from a general perspective, I'd love to know, like, what's it like for 
you had mentioned it before, you know, you have two business units, the residential unit and the commercial business unit. And I know residential is your baby, but can you just tell the folks listening, like, what's it like to run these two very different divisions on one platform on service Titan? Yeah. So we definitely, I remember when the, when service Titan was kind of pitching us, they actually almost, they almost walked away. They said, you guys just aren't the right fit for this. And there was a kind of parking lot meeting where we said, we can't let them leave. We have to have this. And so we couldn't afford not to have it. So anyway, going, you know, creating separate business units. So we actually have five business units. So commercial plumbing, commercial air conditioning, residential air and residential plumbing, and then capital improvement. So we do often like 300 water heater change outs or repipe in a uh, condo association, stuff like that. So so we, we keep that over there. Now, being able to, you know, the, the business grew and there was a point where it was like, what percentage of this is residential or commercial or restaurants or, or industrial? And it seems like when you folk, when you kind of divide, divide them up, put them in their own little, in their own little buckets, you can kind of, you can more easily see what it's going to take to grow those things. And so I think Service Titan by allowing, you know, by having the business unit uh, feature, we, we've actually, we have dispatchers and call takers for each of those departments. And so they all are hyper-focused on the problems that face that division. And so, so that has allowed each of those things to grow just exponentially. Like, the, like we joked earlier, it's sentient. It just this thing is like unstoppable. But as we focus in on, a, on an area, so the reason residential didn't take off was because it was just mixed in with everything else. So when you, when you separate it, you can focus on what are the problems it faces. In plumbing, we thought, you know, we, we always kind of worry about those capital improvement jobs because are we relying on those too much? Because one of those jobs represents like 5% of our revenue for a year. And so, you know, we separate that and we say, now, what does commercial plumbing what does it need without those big jobs? And so anyway, I, I kind of see maybe that can happen a couple more times for us where we take out a restaurant division or, or whatever it might be. Uh, but being able to focus and then have people in those departments who are, they're compensated for the success of, of their domain. Service Titan kind of, it, it, yeah, it helped us do that. And so again, the, the principles are the same, whether you were a residential or a commercial business. It's just maybe the how, how you do it needed to change a little bit. Yeah. So really being able to pull all of those different service lines away from each other and really see, okay, what's going well, what's pacing to plan and how can we grow these? Like what are little like tweaks and levers we can pull to potentially really ramp this up? Oh, I see that, you know, this is happening in the residential plumbing division. Maybe we can borrow from this commercial plumb. Like in terms of insight, I feel like it helps you probably separate all of these things because otherwise everything's just jumbled and you're looking at a global number, which isn't really going to tell you, oh, this department needs more attention. So that's kind of what I got from your answer. Was I right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You made me think of something else too. As a commercial business, we started this residential thing. And I remember when we, when we first started it, we only had two installers for the whole company between commercial and residential. And we would sell these residential jobs for double or triple what we would charge for a commercial one. And they had to wait a week 
because we didn't have an installer for it. So we hired installers for just residential. And then we realized, wait a second, installs are like, that's like, a, that's a thing. That's a business unit. So actually the next project is actually to, in, to separate install from those and watch, look at them separately. But the residential experience and seeing how installs have become a really core piece of that business actually made us look inwards on commercial air conditioning. And so now we have, we have 10 installers in, in our commercial air business on top of the serv- you know, our service guys. And so that, we doubled that business in the last two years because of a, a lesson we learned from the residential thing. So yeah, it's, a, it's certainly a compounding effect and there's momentum. So we're, we're just wow. having a good time with it. Okay. Very cool. Spencer, I really enjoyed this conversation and just like talking about business themes and your journey and growing the residential division at Rainforest. This has been a really thought provoking conversation for me. And honestly, those are my favorite. So thank you for doing this. And I, as we said before, I would love to have your brother Dolan on as well to talk about what he's doing more on the commercial end. But thank you so much for joining me on Toolbox for the Trades. Are there any final words that you would like to share? No, just thanks so much for having me. I think uh, Rainforest is a is a legacy, and to to be partnered with great people and and software solutions like Service Titan to allow us to do what we do. It's seriously, it is like I said earlier, it's the greatest privilege of my life to be able to do this as my career. So hats off to the tradespeople and the entrepreneurs who do this. Um, those are the real heroes. So uh, just it's just an honor to be numbered among them. Hey, Toolbox, want to earn some serious cash just by referring your friends to Service Titan? For every demo your referral books with our team, you'll earn 500 bucks. And if they sign up, you could even make up to $10,000. But wait, there's more. Refer the most friends, you could win a brand new Tesla Model 3. So what are you waiting for? Click the referrals link in the show notes of this episode to start submitting referrals today and get one step closer to driving off in your dream car.